Good evening, everyone. Uh, thank you, Paul, for leading us tonight. Uh, so far in, in our series, Unforced Rhythms, and for anyone who's visiting, this is just a series we've been doing now for a couple of months on the spiritual disciplines of, of the Christian faith. And, and to date, we've looked at these nine, or maybe, maybe it's eight, we've kind of combined silence and solitude together. But we've looked at worship, and Sabbath, and confession, and examine, and unplugging, then silence and solitude. And then last Sunday night, Ivan Steen was here and looked at simplicity with us. And then this morning, we were thinking about the spiritual discipline of, of evangelism. And tonight, as Paul has said, and has already been helping us to think about, we're, we're going to be looking at, at service. So please, uh, could you turn to John 13? Uh, it's page 1081 in the, in the Red Pew Bibles. We'll read it together in a moment. Now, now in the past whenever we have thought about the subject of serving, which we have done on quite a few occasions here in this church. And part of the reason that we have looked at serving on quite a number of occasions is because, as many of you know, it's one of our four key values as a church, along with belonging and multiplying and going. But in the past, when we've thought about serving, I have kind of focused on or concentrated on this John 13 rather dramatic incident that happened on the night before Jesus was crucified. We're not going to do that tonight. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in John 13, but I kind of can't or we can't talk about serving without mentioning just in passing what actually did take place in that upper room. And, and without drawing attention to just one key verse, a, a core comment which Jesus made that, that should never be forgotten, must never be avoided. So let's uh, stand for the public reading of God's Word. John 13, beginning at verse 1, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, do you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. 
I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Grab a seat. Jesus washed the disciples' dirty feet. He took on the role of a servant. He got down on his knees and he did something that sent shockwaves through that upper room and sent shockwaves through history. And after he had dramatically served his friends, Jesus then said something there right at the end of this incident that we need to just keep coming back to time and time again. We must never forget what Jesus said right at the end of this incident as we begin to talk about serving others. He said this, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. You see, Jesus set an example for his followers to follow, and that example was we must serve others. But serving others isn't just something Jesus did, although he did, but it's actually why he came. On one occasion, whenever some mum wanted her two sons to have pride a place in God's kingdom, Jesus responded to this mum's rather bold request, with these challenging words, instead, oh, that's not working. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And then this bit, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus came to serve. That was the reason, that was his purpose. And that servant heart, that servant attitude, that servant model led Jesus to the selfless, sacrificial, supreme act of service of dying for others, for actually being prepared to lay down his life for his friends, for strangers, for his enemy. He laid down his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was, Jesus is the ultimate servant, and we who are his followers are taught, are called to embrace his example. We're to follow his lead, and as his disciples who've been filled with his spirit, we are to live like true servants of Jesus and serve others. I, I never tire of this particular quote. We love and we serve and we care for others because that is the normal behavior for people who are filled with God's spirit. We are Christians. Christ was the ultimate servant. We can't help but serve because the spirit of the servant has filled our hearts. And when we serve, we are just being who we naturally are. We have been given a high and a huge calling. We're called to serve others. On a separate occasion, whenever Jesus was predicting his imminent death. Some of his disciples were having an argument as they traveled between a couple of places. And Jesus clearly overheard them arguing, or he heard something. And so whenever they reached their destination, Jesus questioned them. He asked them, what, what were we arguing about as we traveled along the road? And it says in Mark 9 that they kept quiet. I don't know whether they were embarrassed because they discovered that Jesus had actually heard what they were talking about. But it says in Mark 9 that they kept quiet because on the way they had argued over who was the greatest. They didn't think Jesus heard them, but Jesus did. 
And then in the very next verse, here's what Jesus says. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, you know, anyone who wants to be first, you must be the very last. You must be, and here is an incredible phrase again, you must be the servant of all. Not just of some, but the servant of all. We have received a high and a huge calling. Francis of Assisi said in response to this verse, being the servant of all, I am bound to serve all and to administer the balm-bearing words. That says bearding, <laughs> not bearding words. The balm-bearing words of my Lord. And, and so as we think about the spiritual discipline of service tonight, let, let's be very clear that we should do this. We should practice this discipline. We must practice this discipline because we belong to Jesus and because we follow Jesus. That, that is the baseline. That is the reason we do this. We belong to Jesus. We follow Jesus. The ultimate servant who came to serve, he has set us an example, and he calls us now, as we've been singing, to follow him on that path. Back to our four reasons for this series. Four reasons for doing spiritual disciplines, and specifically number three on the list, we do them because Jesus did them, and when it comes to service, he absolutely did. He absolutely did. And as we often say, those of us who claim to live in God, which I do, those of us who claim to live in God, says the Apostle John, must walk as Christ walked. If I claim to live in God, I must serve others. I must be a servant of all. And so as we think about this discipline, let's keep Jesus front and central. And let's never forget that the towel is the sign of service. But serving others isn't easy. I mean, we say this about all of the disciplines. None of them are easy. Maybe it's why they're often referred to as disciplines, but serving others isn't easy. It's hard. It isn't always our default reaction and response. One of the comments I made this morning when talking about the discipline of evangelism, is, and I've been struck by the fact that virtually all of the spiritual disciplines that we're looking at and thinking about, they are countercultural. They increasingly kick against the norm. Silence is not normal anymore. Again, as I said this morning, it was great last week that we had a time of silence in our morning service. Tonight, we've had another time of silence. But it's not natural to gather with others and be silent. Confession is not natural. It's not normal. It's out of sync with our society. Practicing Sabbath, resting. Fasting, as we're going to think about next week, it's not normal. It's unusual. And when it comes to service, it's no different because we, ought, we do live in a world where we're taught to look after number one. We live in a society that says self comes first. We're living beyond yourself is unusual. That's not to say nobody serves or puts others first. There are tons of examples and good news stories of people who selflessly serve. But in a world where me, myself, and I generally determine and dictate what I do and how I spend my days. The discipline of serving others is generally, generally out of the ordinary. And so it requires discipline. And so it requires intention. So it requires practice. There, there are two 
of the so-called deadly sins that kind of loathe and hamper serving. And they are sloth and pride, or maybe we should put them around the other way, pride and sloth. But these are the sins that cause our eyes to glaze over. These are the sins that shackle our hands and our feet. And sadly, in our world today, many people just don't see the needs of others. They walk past. They look away. We're so caught up. I'm so caught up with myself that I ignore the needs of others. Or I just simply can't be bothered. Sloth, idleness, I just can't be bothered. Got enough of my own issues. Serving others is just too hard. But as Christians, surely we're called to be different because we serve the ultimate servant. And therefore, we must practice this discipline. We must confront and confess laziness and pride and learn to live beyond us. We need to learn to pick up the towel on a daily basis and roll up our sleeves and grab that basin and pour in the water and start washing feet. But to do that requires something. It requires humility, the rank opposite of pride. And you see, if all the classic spiritual disciplines Service is the most conducive discipline to the growth of humility. William Law, who who wrote a formative book about Christian devotion and the call to a holy life, and he wrote this book over 200 years ago, he said that every day, and I love this idea, every day should be viewed as a day of humility. And how do you do that? How do you view every day as a day of humility? Well, he said this, you learn to serve others. You learn to serve others. And Law believed and, and he understood that it is the discipline of service that brings humility into our lives. And if you want humility, he counsels us in this way. And I know this is old language. I've used this quote before. It's the 18th century, remember. But this is what he said. He counsels us to condescend to all the weaknesses and infirmities of your fellow creatures, cover their frailties, love their excellencies, encourage their virtues, relieve their wants, rejoice in their prosperities, compassionate their distress, receive their friendship, overlook their unkindness, Forgive their malice, be a servant of servants, and condescend to do the lowest offices to the lowest of mankind. And the result of this kind of service, the result of this daily disciplining of the flesh that says, you know, I'm going to live beyond myself. It's not about me, myself, and I. It's about you. It's about others. It's about seeing the other. What is the result of this? It's the rise of the grace and the virtue of humility. But what does it look like in the everyday? How does the discipline of service take form and shape in the world that you and I live in? Tomorrow morning, this week, it's more than a list of good things to do, yes, but service and in serving, we discover that there are things to do. And so what I want to do now is I'm going to give you nine specific services that are part of this discipline. I'm kind of drawn on, on Richard Foster's chapter uh, on, on this subject, but I'm going to give you nine specific services that are part of the discipline of service. And the first is this. It's the service of hiddenness. It's those acts of service that are in the shadows. Very few people, if any, notice them And very often, they're never noticed. You see, there's something within me 
that wants my service to be seen, that wants it to be recognized, that wants it to be valued by others, that wants it to be appreciated. And yet the critical issue, surely for me, is that God sees. Public acts of service tend to be much more appealing, but it is those hidden expressions of service, those secret services, that we must never avoid or underestimate. The service of the hiddenness. And then following on from that is the service of small things. Not so much the hidden things, but the relatively simple acts of helpfulness and kindness that we have the opportunity to perform and display day in, day out, from just letting another driver out in traffic, to giving someone a hand to carry their shop into the car, from helping to clear up worship, for just offering to give someone here tonight, and there are people here tonight who need a lift home. Someone has said that the great virtues are a rare occurrence, but the ministry of small things is a daily service. Large tasks require great service for the moment. Small things require constant sacrifice. Do you know every single day we can practice the discipline of the service of small things? And they are the things that keep us at odds with the sins of sloth, idleness, can't be bothered, laziness, and pride. Don't despise the service of small things. Third, this is maybe a rather strange one, the service of guarding the reputation of others. It's an interesting one, but you know, one of the greatest services you can do for someone is not to join in in the backbiting. One of the greatest services you can do for someone is not to join in in the gossiping. It's not to speak badly of anyone. It's not to be party to running other people down, to speak maliciously or disparagingly about another person. You know, we serve others well when we speak well of others. Or at the very least, where we hold our tongues and we refuse to contribute to the dismantling of another person's character and reputation. It happens. We'll be in situations this week where people are talked about when they're not there. The greatest service we can do sometimes for people is not join in. Doesn't mean we never say hard things or honest things to anyone, but we serve those people best by speaking directly to them and not behind their backs. Imagine the service to society today if people didn't join in or fuel the negative or derogatory comments about others in public, online, via social media and Twitter feeds. The service to others. It's one of the greatest services we can perform is to guard people's reputation. Takes discipline. Takes discipline. The fourth is the service of being served. Some of us are not good at this. You know, back in in John 13, whenever Jesus started to wash the disciples' feet, he got to Peter, and what did Peter do? Peter refused the offer. He said, no. Because he would never let his master, it would seem, stoop to such a menial task in his behalf. And it maybe did sound like humility, but in some ways it actually reeked of pride. Because it is hard, isn't it, at times to let others serve us. But it's an act of submission to let them do it. Accept it when others serve you. Thank God for it. Thank God for them. Never think you are beyond help. Pride can get in the way so often, can't it? The next is the 
the service of common courtesy. Titus 3, never really picked up on this before. Titus 3, Paul is talking about being ready for every good work. That, that's what this chapter is about. That's what the headline is. He's preparing Titus for every good work. And here's what he says to his friend Titus about what it actually looks like. He says, to speak evil of no one. So there we're back to that whole idea. Avoid quarreling. That's what it means to be prepared for every good work. Be gentle. And then this bit, and as I say, I've never seen this before, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Some would say that common courtesy has fallen in hard times in our day. Even just a simple hello, a thank you, a please, an expression of appreciation, an acknowledgement of the presence of another not being on your phone when talking to someone else. Do you know all those kind of common courtesies? They're under threat. The service of courtesy is sorely needed in this increasingly computerized, digitalized, depersonalized society. Common courtesy. It's a service. Sixth, the service of hospitality. God's words urges the practice of this time and time again. Last week, if you were, if you were here, Ivan Steen, speaking about simplicity from Acts chapter 2, he actually shared with us how he's been challenging his congregation at Windsor Presbyterian to open up their homes to one another, to have others round for a meal or for a coffee or just for a chat. And, you know, sometimes I think we complicate this or we make it about something else. The service of hospitality is simply about welcoming others into our lives, into our spaces, into our company. And it's a service. It's a service that is part of this discipline. Next, the service of listening. Jeremy Taylor, in his book on fellowship, writes, the first service that one owes to others in the fellowship consists in listening to them. Just as love for God begins with listening to his words, so the beginning of love for the brethren is learning to listen to them. We're not always good at listening, sure we're not. I'm not. Not always good at just listening to others. It's a service when we do. It's an act of service. And two of the most important requirements you need for this particular act of service are compassion and patience. Because you see, an impatient, distracted Looking over your shoulder, half-listening fools no one. It only leaves another person feeling unheard, uncared for, uninteresting. But it requires time to listen. We're often in such a rush of just no time to listen to you. Bonhoeffer writes in his book, anyone who thinks that his time is too valuable to spend to keep in quiet will eventually have no time for God or his brother, but only for himself and his own follies. The service of listening, simple. It's part of the discipline of service. Number eight, the service of bearing the burdens of each other. Again, New Testament teaches us to do this. Galatians 6 Bear one another's burden. It's a service to bear someone else's burden. Whether a burden shared really is a burden half isn't the point. But whenever we draw alongside one another and weep with those who weep, whenever we support those who are weighed down, whenever we care for those who can barely lift their heads, we perform an act of service that's beyond words. 
But that's hard, isn't it? Again, it's hard, it's costly, it's time-consuming. But even the commitment to pray for that person, to let that person know that you're thinking about them, that can be a genuine act of service. And then finally, the service of sharing the word of life with another, speaking God's word into one another's lives, passing on that word of wisdom, passing on that word of truth, of encouragement, of hope, of comfort. Whenever we do that, whenever we speak God's word into one another's lives, it's a powerful act of service. So there we have nine ways to serve via the discipline of service. It's not an exhaustive list. There are many, many other ways to serve. I haven't mentioned there are opportunities here at this church to serve. One of the things that we often say is join a team, be part of a team that serves in this church. There are lots of opportunities to do that. If you want to serve here in this context, then speak to us afterwards because there are those chances to do that. And even thinking tonight, as we consider the need to appoint new and more deacons to serve, if you are a member and you are eligible, and someone does approach you to serve in this way, can I encourage you to let your name go forward? Be prepared to be a servant. But it takes discipline. It takes discipline and intention and practice. But as I finish, let me go back to the ultimate servant. The servant king that we sang about earlier the one who has called us now to follow him. Because if we're going to grow to become more like Christ, which is what every one of us who follow Jesus, that is the Father's heart for us. He wants to form us, conform us, transform us into the image of his Son. But if we're going to grow to become more like Christ, then we must serve as Jesus served. We must discipline to serve as he served. We must become people who are willing to grab the towel and to live beyond ourselves. And so may we learn how to serve others. May we display humility. And may we never forget, as Graham Kendrick so rightly reminds us in the last line of that song, for it is, and I love, this is the thing, it's Christ we're serving. We need that perspective. Whenever we serve someone else, it's Christ we're serving. And so whatever we do for the least of these, the small things, the hidden things, the listening ear, the putting out of chairs, the meal that you contribute to the Frisians, the meal that you take around to someone, the teaching in junior church, the prayers, the carrying of each other's burdens, whatever we do for anyone else, we do for Jesus. It's Christ we're serving. And so as we finish, it does seem so fitting that the song that Paul has chosen for us to close our service with is, All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. Because as we surrender all to Jesus, as we give our lives over to Jesus, we will live as he lived. We will become models of his example. We will be people who live beyond ourselves. So as we stand and sing this final song, I invite you to make this a prayer and say, Jesus, all to you, I surrender. May I live this week 
as you lived serving others. Let's stand together as we sing.